regardless of where you stand on the matter of data science sexiness, it's simply impossible to ignore the continuing importance of data as well as our ability to analyze, organize, and contextualize them. Data are changing how our businesses and societies function. They are being used to solve a ton of interesting problems and shaping the questions we can ask of the world around us. Hi, I'm James Lee, and this is Datacast. Join me for raw conversations with practitioners from the worlds of AI, machine learning, statistics, and data science. to the sixth episode of the Datacast. This is James Lee and today I'm uh, on the live with um, Nicholson uh, who is the principal data scientist at Skyscanner. He has been working professionally with numbers and computers for the past 13 years. Uh, during the past six years at Skyscanner, he has seen the data team grow from two analysts based in Edinburgh to a global team of uh, more than 25 data scientists making global impact. So uh, welcome to the show, Ewan. Thanks for having me, James. Awesome. So uh, let's go back to uh, your early days uh, at your, with your education. Uh, I saw that you studied physics for your undergrad at the University of Edinburgh. So uh, I'm just curious, you know, have you always been interested in natural science growing up as a kid? And uh, why did you choose to study physics? So, yeah, I've, I've kind of always had a curiosity uh, around that area of how things work and how to explain things. That, that's always really fascinating. Uh, how I chose to study physics, it was, it was kind of an accident, really. It was just sort of uh, an alignment of things that I was interested in with uh, things that I thought might be useful at some stage in the future, but there's never, never really been any grand plan there. After you finished your undergrad, um, earlier in your career, you, uh, your first job, you worked as a seismic acquisition specialist at uh, ION Geophysical. So how was your experience at that first job? Um, so that was a very good job uh, for when I was straight out of university because it allowed me to do a few things that really interest me. One of them was it allowed me to, so I'll maybe talk a bit about what the job was to begin with because yeah. um, it's hard to do it. So my, that job involved uh, sailing on boats, uh, doing seismic surveys. Uh, and these boats, what they do is they tow cables behind them. They're about 10 or 12 kilometers long, these cables. Um, and what you would do, you'd tow these cables, set off noises in the water, and then measure the reflections that come up all of the layers of uh, strata underneath the surface. So my job was really to apply my uh, statistical and data skills that I developed at university uh, to validate the quality of the data and to uh, optimize where the boat should go uh, and really just to um, make sure that we were doing the best, the best job that we could uh, using data and statistics and numbers. So it was really great from that point of view because it allowed me to use the skills that I got uh, and also, it was really great because I got to I got to travel around quite a lot, uh, both on work and on, on the holidays as well. Have you done any projects with, with like um, 
you know, a quick prediction on things of that nature. Because uh, I'm recently reading like a few articles about like the difficulty in like in, in data on like um, on seismic data. So I'm just curious, like what are some of the projects that you work on at that, job, at that first job? So there's a lot of interesting things to talk about there. Um, like the, the word seismic in that job title, it was more about measuring sounds that come from underneath the ground. Okay. So there's no real uh, measurement of plate tectonics or anything like that. Um, but it was about like looking at what's coming from underneath the ground and the sounds that come off of that. In terms of uh, earthquake prediction, I've, I've never actually worked in the field of earthquake prediction. I, I know that it's uh, very difficult or impossible to, to do. That's, that's pretty much all that I know about okay. earthquake prediction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, and so after that job, you uh, spent a year as a senior research executive in uh, marketing science at BBC, right? Um, so can you discuss yeah. the projects that you work on while at BBC? What I was doing at the BBC, we were... Uh, again, a lot of similarity in that I was using statistics and I was using computers and data uh, to, to understand the world around me better. Uh, at the BBC, though, the, the subject area was completely different. So instead of trying to figure out where, where oil was under the, under the sea, uh, I was trying to use statistics and data to understand what people uh, liked on the BBC and which programs they watched. Or listen to on the radio, which parts of the website they liked, all these all these sorts of things. We were able to help people understand uh, very well using the either it was survey data that we collected, or as behavioural data that we were able to collect. Um, and we used those data sets along with the techniques of uh, statistical analysis, machine learning, mm -hmm. uh, and communicating the results as well. That was that was a really key part of that job. Uh, to be able to kind of help the help the people decide what what they should change, what they should do differently, what they should keep doing. Uh, all the all these sorts of questions that they have no other way to answer apart from to try and understand the data. I see. And that's sort of like my, your first um, exposure to the power of data science, especially for uh, consumer products, right? Then you can use data to, to measure consumer behaviors and getting insights on, on how to uh, come up with uh, marketing uh, uh, campaign or uh, good content to to attract customer. Uh, that's what yeah. yeah, that's what I assume. Uh, was there any like companies you know nowadays that you really admire in terms of like excellent marketing science, like in, in your own words, that are doing? Good data science work in terms of uh, content marketing. The thing that's really exciting for me about the field of marketing and data these days, um, it's it's been around for a really long time, using uh, database analytics and so on to, to do marketing. That that's one of the oldest applications of statistics uh, and data that we've got. But one thing that's really exciting just now is. The power of data is really transforming the way that people do marketing, and it's no longer about you know how many messages can I send to people or how many eyeballs can I get to see this advert. Um, people are really being able to develop a much richer understanding of how people um, 
how people interact with marketing messages and how that translates to the to the behaviors that they have with their products. So some of the companies that are really doing doing a lot in this space are the companies that are really they're they're using data to um, to understand customers really really deep. Um, so there, there's a lot of good examples from the technology space um, who have access to the data and all of the interactions that they have with people that are online. That makes that job really easy to kind of capture all of the touch points that you've got with the customer. Um, the companies that, so like, there's there's a lot of really exciting stuff that you can do with that. You can predict customer lifetime value, you can do segmentation, you can do prediction about how customers are going to respond to messages and so on. Um, the companies who are doing some of the most exciting stuff, people who are able to think online with offline, because that comes with its own set of challenges. Like one of the biggest ones is how do you think the, the online and offline behavior? Like that's that's a huge challenge. You have to be super creative in how you do that. But when you when you're able to do that, it really scales things up quite a lot types of insights that you're able to get about how people are interacting with you. And uh, so you've been working at Skyscanner since uh, 2012. Uh, that is more than six years now. Uh, for the audience who are not familiar with Skyscanner, um, can you share a brief background overview about the company as well as the, some of the reasons that made you chose to work there at the first place? Yeah. Um, so Skyscanner is a travel company. Uh, we use uh, technology to allow people to search for travel options that they're interested in, whether it's flights, hotels, car hire. Uh, they're able to do the do the kind of searching and the booking of their travel using Skyscan. So there's a couple of really exciting things there from the data point of view, and that's really what attracted me to it. Uh, one is that uh, because we're quite a high-technology company, uh, it means that we're able to utilize some really good technologies for understanding data. So we're able to scale our analysis up a lot more than I was ever able to uh, in the past. Um, so using things like uh, AWS, Spark, all these technologies are, are great because I can operate on much larger data sets. Um, the, the other really cool thing, though, is um, I, I've always been very interested in travel, and the data sets that I get to work with at Skyscan are very exciting um, because I, I'm able to see things like uh, where are people searching for their flights to, like what are the destinations that they're trending up, uh, what's the behavioral patterns going on there. Uh, I can look at things like uh, what, where, what neighborhoods are good for say and if they're a particular type of customer I can start to understand that so I really like that kind of that real world aspect of it because it ties in with something that I'm, I'm interested in myself yeah and and I read some of the articles and did you say did you, you did like mention a lot about some of the unique char characteristic of like uh, data set in especially in the travel space like that um, key inside of um, actionability right? like you can use your data in a very real world situation 
um, which is really exciting. So um, I'm just curious, what are some of the major use cases of data science and sky scanner? Like what uh, what particular um, aspect of the product that are heavily utilizing you know data science? There's quite a lot to share there. Uh, data science by itself is such a broad term that it, it's kind of hard to unpick sometimes and to try and understand as a as a data scientist. But uh, Maybe maybe a few examples would be nice things to talk yeah, about. Yeah. Um, so some of the really interesting things that we've got going on just now. If you go onto the Skyscanner product, um, and you do, let's say, you, well, the first time that you hit the Skyscanner product, uh, we're already able to use data to maybe start recommending things to you that you might find interesting. Even though we don't know very much about you, all of this data is anonymous, and that's the best kind of data is anonymous data. Mm -hmm. um, we're able to do things like with the trends that are going on in the travel space. We maybe know a little bit about where you're searching to, so we might be able to infer what similar destinations are. So there's a very, very interesting field of recommendation systems. Right. Um, that's something that we're... we're um, we have some very interesting... In interesting challenges there like we've got a very highly dimensional space that we're working in so the amount of travel options that you could possibly recommend to somebody is, is huge and it's really big so how do we do how do we deal with that high high dimensionality uh, also because um, sorry I completely forgot where I was going there James um, yeah I know but like the dimensionality is a really big part of the problem that we've got there and also, how do we make these these meaning? Like, how do we evaluate if this travel option that we're recommending to somebody is better than another one? Um, the the field of recommendation is really exciting from the data science point. To go along with that, uh, other ways that we're applying uh, machine learning in Skyscanner, we do things like uh, so. When you do a search, you'll notice that not all of the we're we're not just showing from cheapest to most expensive. We're trying to figure out what the best option is to show to you. So previously you might see things like, uh, say I'm flying from Edinburgh to New York. Uh, is it worthwhile of me saving £50 if I've got to travel for an extra 14 hours? Probably not. So I'd, I would want something that's shorter, but maybe a little bit more expensive. So that optimization problem is really interesting. How do you how do you figure out what the best thing is for the consumer based on all of the previous customer behavior that we've seen? There are a few other other interesting fields that we've got that are around, and so the applications of machine learning are around things like forecasting, like uh, performance of the business. Are we going to be in 12, 18 months' time? That's a very very interesting field. And another one would be around, um, there's a thing called attribution, which is essentially how do you predict what the best way to do, what the best next touch point is mm -hmm. to market something. And, and how do you make sure that you're giving you're giving fair credit to all of the marketing touch points that you've got. So I've focused quite a lot there on machine learning use cases. Um, one thing that I'd, I'd really uh, 
encourage you to think about is data science is a very broad field. It's a very um, all-encompassing field. Data science is, is so big, it, it's hard to think about. And it's not just about machine learning. So you should also like um, give good credit to the things that you do that are maybe very in-depth analysis of mm -hmm. data. You get a better understanding of the value that's contained in that data. Or um, being able to communicate very effectively the results that you're getting. There's a very big field that we're talking about here is data science. And I've, I've only just given you a very small set of examples of what we're doing with data science here at SkyScan. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's quite a lot to, to unpack. So I'm just gonna maybe go yeah. go a little bit uh, uh, in in depth, in technical depth, in terms of what you just mentioned. So so um, the first use case you mentioned was uh, chance recommendation for for customer, right? So essentially, I'm I'm quite um, I have some understanding about this sort of um, this sort of field because I've been doing some project in the past about recommendation system. So yeah. uh, my understanding is like um, you use uh, user behavior from from past data as well as um, um, you know insights from the general population to calculate the similarity between users and then you recommend uh, travel options based on those sort of similarity right so can you unpack a little bit more on, on that, the, the technical depth of like the the system under underneath like your recommendation system like what what sort of um, uh, algorithms and what sort of techniques that um, Skyscan team use to to uh, you know come up with all these recommendation options. So from a data science point of view, like a very uh, easy way to think about this and to communicate is you've got uh, you hit the nail on the head there. You're trying to figure out the similarity of two points in a very large space. It's multi-dimensional space in each of those space each of those dimensions. There's a lot of potential values that things can take on. So um, what we mean what I'm meaning there is like maybe one of the dimensions that we're talking about is, is people, like their characteristics. And every single person that we see is completely different to every other person. Um, but another dimension might be something like uh, the, the place that they want to travel or the time that they want to travel. So it, very quickly it becomes a gigantic space that you're trying to explore when you multiply all of these things together. So an easy way to kind of conceptualize this is we uh, help explain the problem a bit better is thinking about how you're, how you're reducing the dimensionality and how are you compressing those di each of those individual dimensions down. Trying to figure out ways that you're maybe grouping together specific destinations. Let me go into a bit more detail on that. Yeah, of so, course. Like the, the, the number of airports that there are in the world, I think there's about 5,000 airports in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, there's about, so that means that for every origin and destination, there's about 5,000 squared uh, origin and destination pairs. So obviously that's, that's too much to try and, it's a very sparse matrix. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to group together some of these airports and you're trying to say this one is maybe uh, one that people travel to for business. This one is one that people travel to for, for warm weather. Uh, this is one that people travel to for the summer holidays in the schools. This is, and if you're able to pick up on those signals, 
if you're able to um, use that kind of implicit knowledge that you're getting, it, it really makes the problem of recommendation far, far simpler. So if you're able to kind of use various techniques to, to bucket those things up and to compress that down, um, it, it works very well. In terms of the techniques that you can use for that type of dimensionality reduction, there's, there's a lot. Um, and each of them have their pros and their cons. Uh, one thing that's really exciting to, to think about, um, have you, uh, like there's this, there's this idea of embeddings. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, one of the, one of the kind of, one of the examples that people talk about most is this one of word to vector, where you're taking words and you're translating them into vectors in space. Yeah. Uh, using a neural net. Um, but that idea of embeddings is actually very, very flexible space, and you're able to think about this in that same sort of word-to-vec type way. And you can actually get quite a flexible way of reducing dimensionality and making a more complex dimension simpler. Um, it, it, it's a very flexible technique, and one that I find quite exciting. Yeah, word-to-vec is, is a very interesting use case. So I think my understanding was just like you can take a look at, for example, like a verbal or um, like some sort of description of like a place, and then you use that techniques to convert that into a, a vectors in a high dimensional space, and then you use something like uh, matrix factorization, right, to, to create a matrices of like you know your travel destination and say your customer, and then you you sort of build your your values on that on that matrix to to see the the similarity score and see how how the um, how like a customer A might be very similar to customer B. Is that correct? A sort of my description. Yeah, that like uh, that's yeah, I, yeah. Let's not get let's not get too too. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, um, one of these things is much more pleasant to talk about when you've got a whiteboard to stand around. <laughs> okay, for sure. Um, and then um, the other use case that you mentioned was on uh, optimization, right? Uh, optimization of uh, like content on, on your site. How do you how do you use um, data science to to come up with, like, say, the best uh, uh, user experience on like your uh, desktop and mobile products? And this is interesting to me because. Uh, from listening to like some of the podcasts that you have done before, uh, it seems like Sky Center make uh, heavy use of uh, A/B testing experiment in the whole uh, product development process. So, uh, would you mind sharing a bit about that whole process for our audience? How did you, how does uh, A/B testing practice look like at Sky Scanner? So, A/B testing is one of the one of the best tools we have. Um, in the online space, it, there's there's a reason why any technology company uses it, and that's because it allows you to really to really prove that uh, the change that you've made, so the experiment that you've run, has made an impact, and it allows you to quantify how big of an impact that is. Um, and it's it, it's a really powerful technique. Like there's there's very few other things that allow you to make a statement at that level of certainty that the thing that I did made this outcome happen. 
and it's one of the real advantages that we have in the in the online and technology sector is that we're able to do that level of experimentation and we're able to do it very very easily um, there's a couple of really interesting things that allow you to be um, allow you to be successful at the PB test uh, one of them is uh, making sure that you're doing the, the, the analysis, the results correct. Uh, there's no point running the experiment if you're not doing the correct statistical tests afterwards to, to uh, say how big of an impact you had and was it significant or not. Uh, that's, that's one thing that's very important if you're doing baby testing. The other thing that's very important is that it should be very, very easy to do this type of testing. So if you don't, if it's going to take you two weeks to set up the test and to be able to run the test and to, to analyze it, that puts a lot of friction around the process for you. And it means that you're, not, you're going to be kind of reluctant to take advantage of this very powerful technique. So one thing that's, um, that's really cool at Skyscanner is that we've got a platform that allows us to automate a lot to the a lot of the drudgery that goes along with A-B testing. So making sure that we're segmenting people properly into the groups, making sure that we're doing the analysis properly, and making sure that we're reporting results clearly. Um, by building that platform, it's allowed us to um, do a lot more A-B tests, which is great because it allows you to make more, more gains. But also it's allowed us to make sure that we're always doing them right and we're always getting the right conclusions from So that, that's been a real, a real boon for, for our growth. How many like, experiments that you guys do, like say like per day um, or like per week? I don't know the number off the top of my head, I'm afraid. Um, quite a few is what I'd say, but not, not too many is the other thing that I'd say. Mm. Sorry, that's a bit of a cryptic answer. Uh, the, the reason that you have to run quite a few tests is that you're trying to run tests that you think have a reasonable chance of failure. Yeah. Uh, so you want to run quite a few so that you get success. And the reason that I say not too many is uh, because if you run if you run very very many tests, then you end up um, you end up optimizing to noise and to things that don't really don't really matter too much. Something that I'm quite keen that we focus on is not just running test after test after test with thousands and thousands of very small variations of the same thing. But whenever we're running an experiment, we're actually running the experiment to learn something mm -hmm. and actually build some knowledge rather than just uh, doing a doing a hill climbing optimization. So, so Skyscanner has both a web products as well as a, a mobile app, right? And and it, it seems like um, the company has invest more focus on like the mobile development, like the app. So I'm just kind of curious uh, about what are the differences between like uh, the testing experiment with your web product versus your mobile products. How how's that different? That's the person who's running the experiment. There's not a huge deal of difference in the just now. That's because we've invested so much in that platform that allows us to do the experimentation on both platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, each platform has uh, technological challenges that you've got. So like on, a, on the mobile app, we need to 
put a lot more thought around how you're going to be able to deploy this, how you're going to be able to get onto people's devices and be able to uh, switch on and off the test. So there's there are different technical challenges on each of the platforms, but um, it's it's very important that you abstract those away. You don't have to worry about have I done the segmentation properly? Uh, have I have I done the test for enough time? Type of decisions based on the based on the platform that they're running on. I see. Okay, so um, moving away a, a bit from like the, the sort of uh, nitty gritty detail of data science, um, I'm I'm wondering, you know, what are some of the key challenges? Um, in uh, delivering data science value um, internally at Skyscanner and externally to the customers, essentially, they, how, what are some of the challenges in how you communicate your results for your non-technical peers as well as for your customers? Gosh, uh, there's an awful lot to talk about there. That's, that's um, where to start. So I think like the way that you frame that question is really really good and it's really talked about how do we communicate the results that's one of the key skills that you've got to develop as a data scientist is there's no real point doing the cleverest thing in the world making the most sophisticated result if nobody if nobody finds out about it and so communicate it's one of the one of the real key skills as a bit so thinking that I'd like to keep in my in my head is trying to always make sure that I communicate detail about all of the different parts of the analysis that you've done and um, maybe, maybe they don't maybe they just need a one word answer which is yes or no um, that's that's one sort of consideration I think about there but also um, the, the field of communication is, is one that it's, it's really hard to know that you're getting it right so as well as thinking hard about the audience and why why you're communicating with them, what you want them to learn, is trying to find ways that you can get feedback on that and trying to get um, trying to get ways that you can learn about how well how good a job you've done. And one of the, one of the real key things that I I like to listen for is uh, people saying things like uh, I I didn't I didn't know we could do that or uh, I didn't know that was possible, or uh, another one would be around um, when people say something that you've communicated, but they say that as their as their idea, because that's a really effective sign that you've communicated well, that they've internalized that thing that you've communicated so deeply that it becomes one of, one of the ideas that they hold to themselves. So 
definitely communication is, is a huge part of data science and one of the biggest challenges that you'll, you'll come across as you're, um, uh, and as you're, as you're becoming a professional data scientist. There's a whole of other challenges that you're running into, whether they're technological challenges, whether they're software engineering challenges. Those ones are much, are they're much easier to, to get beyond because you can quite often read about them in good books and things like that. So in, in your opinion, um, how would a data science team be situated in an organization, um, ideally speaking? That's that's one. Of, that's a very good question. It's one that comes up quite a lot about how how should how should teams be structured, uh, and where should they do their reporting? And um, it's it's one of these questions that you get uh, quite often in the in the uh, discussion about professional data science. Um, I don't think that there's an ideal answer. Each of each of the options you've got, whether you're distributed or centralized or hybrid or you know, you're reporting as part of the technology, the finance, the business, all these all these sorts of discussions. They they've all got pros and cons uh, and they're all very individual to the organizations which you're in. As far as I, I'm concerned, there's the, the more crucial thing is how are you collaborating as a data science team? And that's the thing that I like to focus on. So I mean by that, how are you collaborating with the other data scientists that you're maybe working with? Like, are you sharing ideas? Are you doing peer review? Uh, are you building things together to make to make a better uh, future vision? But the other the other key thing is like, how are you collaborating with the other people in the business? Like, are you are you talking with them every day? Are you learning what concerns them? Are you learning what their big challenges are? Uh, are you kind of figuring them out a bit so that you can communicate better with them? So I, I tend to think of the problem as more of one of like, how do you collaborate? And thinking of it in that way, how do you, how do you collaborate best? And how could you remove some of those barriers to collaboration is, is, is the way that I, I like to yeah, awesome. Yeah, and th th that is what um, one of the reasons that I'm getting uh, be become interested in data science at the first place. You know, just this whole notion of being able to interface with multiple different units in an organization, right? You can you you have a lot of work with like your fellow data scientists. You work alongside like product managers, software developers, you know, salespeople, mar marketers, and you know, your uh, executives people. You know, and like every single thing you, the more you interact, like the better you understand uh, the value that you deliver, and like essentially you you, you own like the, the whole product cycle as well. So just this idea of like being able to to touch multiple phase of uh, using data to, to inform your uh, product development processes is really really appealing to me. Yeah. Um, it it's definitely true. And the, the other thing as well is that data is fairly, uh, sorry, data and numbers are a fairly use, universal language. Mm -hmm. So if, you, if you're able to communicate using data and numbers, and you're able to understand them, then you're going to be able to, as you say, talk to many different parts of the organization. You're also going to be able to solve many different sorts of problems. You're going to be able to 
in your website, you know, I saw a slide presentation for a talk that you gave in the past called uh, What Can Data Scientists Learn from Engineers? So uh, if you don't mind going over that, what are the three most important uh, engineering skills that a data scientist can learn from a software developer? The things that you can, so again, this is a lot of that collaboration that we were talking about earlier. If you've got software engineers in your organization and you have the opportunity to collaborate with them, then I'd really take that opportunity because you're able to learn a lot through that type of interaction. Um, the three things that I'd say that I, I've picked up the best of that collaboration, there's been uh, breaking down my code into smaller chunks mm -hmm. using version control mm -hmm. and in um, the reason it, it allowed me to make sure that my code is going to work in six months' time. And it allowed me to make sure that it's going to be repeatable and it's going to be able to scale out to other problems as well. So those, those things are things that I've really enjoyed learning most because it allows me to the right things that are going to that are going to work better. I see. Um, and you also mentioned in in the slide that I saw that is really important to learn uh, data engineering skill, right? Because without data engineering, you cannot even get access to data at the first place. And um, just just from my observation, uh, it seems like there's a lot more resources on you know modeling and machine learning and algorithms than, you know, data engineering for, for data scientists to learn about. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, what are some of the good resources that uh, you could recommend for people to learn more about data engineering? Data engineering is a really, really useful skill. Let me think about how I would tackle that. One thing, one thing that you've got to look at, I would say, is learning SQL, SQL. Mm -hmm. Getting good at that is important for a couple of reasons. One of them is it's the language that's used in almost every database that you encounter. If you know how to write good SQL, then you'll be able to uh, interface with any database that you come up against. But the other thing is the way that it makes you think about uh, sets, about joins, about groups, all these sorts of things. That sort of thinking is very transferable as well, and that will help you if you're um, looking at things like pandas, and spar, all of these sorts of things. That way of thinking helps you quite a lot as well. The other thing that I would look at, um, so a lot of data engineering these days is getting quite uh, quite bound up with the with the cloud providers, whether they're AWS, Azure, or Google Cloud. Mm -hmm. Like all of these providers have their own tools that allow you to uh, work with large data sets and allow you to, do, to build those data pipelines and allow you to uh, get the data that you're going to use to train your model. Um, so there, kind of depends a little bit on like who the people are, sorry, which platform the people around you are using, uh, because that will make your life a lot easier because you'll be able to learn from that. What are some of the good signals that um, people like me can look at when searching for jobs, you know, to
to determine whether a company embraced a data-centric culture or not? That's a really good question. What I would, what I would really be looking for there, um, the main one is, is a control thing. It's trying to identify how do people work with data in that organization. And that's a kind of tricky thing to get, to get a, an understanding of. So that you'll be able to look at an organization from the outside and you'll be able to say, oh, I can see that these people will be gathering lots of data through these types of interactions. I can see that their products work well, so I think that they'll be technologically quite good. Those, those are the sorts of things that are quite easy to judge from the outside. Um, the tricky part, though, and you, again, you've hit it very well, is like where where the culture is, and like, are people making decisions scientifically? Uh, do people think about data in the right way? Uh, do they, you know, like all of these sorts of things are very cultural, and I find that you only find that out by by interacting with people in the company. Um, so one way is making the most of the interview that you have in the company to make sure that it fits your, your cultural um, feelings. But that's, that's a very low bandwidth way of doing that. Um, what another thing I would suggest is making use of the community that you have. Um, I'm sure that you've got things like meetups in your area. Yeah. Uh, you've got you know, the ability to meet people there. You've got the ability to find people that you maybe go out and buy a coffee. All these sorts of things. I try and find ways to interact with the people who are in that company, uh, and try and get a feel from them on what what the culture is like. How 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 is data received in that organisation? Uh, that'd be my my way of going about it. I see. Yeah, and sort of talking about the community community aspect of you know, uh, uh, of like you know looking for jobs. Uh, how would you describe the data science uh, ecosystem in Scotland? Um, so, I'm very, very excited and passionate about the data science ecosystem we've got here in Scotland. Um, there's something quite exciting happening just now because we've, uh, maybe for your, for your audience who are not from the UK, like the UK is usually very London centric, mm -hmm. and all of the all of the kind of big technology companies, all of the big jobs are down in, in London. But something quite exciting is happening in Scotland, and because we're learning that it's quite possible to do these, uh, to do startups, to build technology companies, and to attract that kind of tech that. Um, Knowledge and specialism to the great universities that we have in, in Scotland. So I'm I'm talking to you from uh, Glasgow, where we have three, four universities. There's another four or five in Edinburgh, and then we've got uh, places like St Andrews, Dundee, Aberdeen, lots more universities, and they're just churning out very very good data. So there's something really exciting happening here because we've got that um, mixture of excitement, technology, the people, and also we're small enough that you can know people around you and you can go and become friends and 
kind of hang out with people who are interested in data. But we're no longer so small, the data technology scene that we have. It's yeah. no longer so small that it's 10 people standing around a, a pizza box. Uh, we've got hundreds of people coming to the meetups that we have. Uh, and a lot of really, really exciting things are coming out of that, whether it's jobs or startups being formed and all these sorts of things happen. So it's it's a really exciting time to, to be in data in Scotland. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So this is a very high growth community, right? It's a lot of it's, it's it's growing hard, but it's not not too big enough, not too small enough. Just in the right uh, development phase, so people can start getting into, which is always like um, always an exciting place to be, especially earlier in you know in your career, right? Um, yes, it's very exciting. Uh, since you have had experience, you know, hiring data scientists. What is your one piece of advice for people to uh, succeed in the data science interview? Um, so usually what trips people up in the interview isn't, isn't the, the kind of textbook knowledge. So like people who come in for interviews, they'll maybe be you know, brilliant on Kaggle or they'll have just come out of a very prestigious university with a great great degree and they'll they'll know all of the all of the algorithms inside out. Usually what it comes down to is more around um, the the cultural aspects and how are you going to think in the organization? Are you going to be um, excited about the challenges that you're going to face, or are you kind of are you kind of very set in your ways and not wanting to, to grow and to learn? So for me, a lot of the time it, it comes down to that kind of cultural aspect. How how are you going to? Like, we're very fortunate. There's lots of very smart applicants. But how are you gonna? How are you gonna be able to work? How are you gonna be able to solve problems? That kind of thinking beyond just the just the algorithm space is, is what I would think. So try and um, trying to develop that from the outside is kind of hard. But one thing that I would suggest is very useful is trying to think about the sorts of problems that that company might face. And trying to think about how you would solve them on the outside. So, um, for example, we talked at length about recommendation systems earlier. How would you go about building a recommendation system? What are the sorts of challenges that you're going to face building that? Where are you going to get data from? Uh, how are you going to deploy it? How are you going to know that it's doing a good job? And all these sorts of things. So, thinking about that kind of broader space is something that I like really impresses me when I see a candidate to, to I see. So essentially like try to try to uh, do reasoning from first first principles, right? Like you you look at an, a problem and from from its you know its, its atomic units it actually um, you know what what made up the problems and and uh, what are different approaches that we can use to solve that problem instead of like sticking with like you know, an approach that you already know and try to apply that to solve the problem, right? Yeah, yeah. And not just, like, like quite often you'll have the situation where somebody wants to demonstrate how, how clever they are and how um, 
sophisticated the algorithms that they've learned about are. And that isn't really what you're looking for in, in, in the interview. What you're looking for is like, how do you think, how do you express yourself? How do you use the, the mental tools that you have? How do you use them to apply to, to a different problem space? So there's a, I would kind of just encourage anybody preparing for an interview and it go beyond that kind of, uh, Okay. Um, on the other side of the uh, job market, um, what could be your advice for um, business stakeholders who like doesn't know a lot about like data science at the first place, but they want to make use of you know this new technology for this business use cases? Do you have any sort of uh, maybe advice for those, you know, executive level people to how, how can they like embrace, you know, um, this new technology? So probably what I would say is try and figure out why you're interested in that. And try and figure out a little bit about like what impact the data people might have in your organization. Um, that's kind of a tricky thing to do, uh, to be able to um, understand what potential value there is if you don't know very much about data or data science yourself. Uh, what I'd say there is like, people who are interested in data, they love talking about data. Um, it's one of the kind of universal things we find with data scientists are to get when they start talking. So if, you, if you're in that situation where you're trying to figure out where are the problems that you can bring a small piece of data to the I need to learn data scientists on the source of it. Then make use of the data community and try and find somebody who would be interested in talking to about your problems uh, and explore with them. Just have a chat. They'll, they'll be able to learn from you just as much as you're able to learn from them. Yeah, thanks a lot for that uh, great advice. So now towards the end of our conversation, and I will uh, uh, closing it down with uh, a short segment of a rapid fire question. And the goal is to you know um, to have you give some technical advice for our audience to to take away from the, our conversation. Okay. Um, the first question um, uh, in in you know in, in kind of the, the Edinburgh and Scotland. Uh, area. What are some of the companies that are doing exceptional data science work that you really admire? Or besides Skyscanner, you know. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> um, so one thing that's really exciting. Um, so the the companies that I really admire in the data space are those ones who who communicate really well about it. So usually you look to people like Airbnb or. Um, Stitchfix, they're, they're the, the folk who I hold up as making really good contributions and talking about how, they, how they're doing. So they're, they're really exciting. But one thing that's very exciting in Scotland is that we've got startups who, they're not making use of data science on the side. 
they're actually making data science a core part of their of their value proposition. So they're using machine learning, they're using uh, data science, they're using artificial intelligence to, to build a better product. So we've got, um, there's a company called, uh, I won't go through a whole shopping list, but there's one called Provice, mm -hmm. who do, uh, they're, they're doing financial modeling and they're trying to predict who's going to be able to pay invoices in time, so that they're able to take some uh, essentially remove some The really exciting thing is that that's uh, at its core a prediction problem, and they, their data science team talk very well about how, how they're doing. So there's a lot of exciting things that I see in the, in the startups. That those companies are doing are doing data science as the core of their, their product. I see. Um, uh, the second question. So we kind of going over this earlier, like. Um, this idea of like um, reasoning from first principle when approaching problems. So, I, I think it's very important to have a diverse mental mental toolboxes. You know, so you can you know, understand different approaches to solve problems. And so the question is that: What is one book that you would recommend for people who want to develop a more diverse, you know, mental models and essentially like better analytical mindset to approach problems in in an uh, effective way? Gosh, um, I, I love to read, so choosing only only one book is really tough. Um, so I think, yeah, I completely agree. Like all of the technological stuff, it's very easy to pick up a book about machine learning and all that sort of stuff and learn from that. Uh, that, that. But the tricky one is trying to figure out how to how to think analytically, how to question things in the right way. Um, for that, I'd probably recommend a book called uh, Bad Science by an author called Ben Goldacre, mm. who's a medical doctor in the, in the UK. But he, he talks very well about um, how people make bad decisions using science. So like even if they're uh, maybe doing some of the things right, how can the kind of bigger level problem fall down? I, I really enjoyed that book. Yeah, it's good. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely put that in the show notes so people can can uh, take a look at those. And then the last question, imagine that you can send out a tweet to all the aspiring data scientists on Twitter. What could you tweet about? Well, um, for me, like, if, if I was starting in data science now, I, I would find it super confusing what data science, what, what even data science is. Um, like, what, what does it mean and how did we get here? Uh, one thing that I would tweet out to me, there's a really good paper it's called 50 Years of Data Science. How did data science develop? What's the difference between data science and statistics? What's the difference between what you do in the Kaggle competition and how you apply it to data science? Um, I really like that paper and it's got a lot of so I, I, I tweeted about that. I, I love it. It's great. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, well, Edwin, thanks a lot for, you know, uh, chatting with me today. Um, I really enjoy, you know, sort of learning about your experience working at Skyscanner. You know, how did you um, practically use cases of data science um, at your company? How, how you can communicate better results? And, you know, some of the 
tip uh, and uh, advice and tips for aspiring data scientists that can take away to to advance the career and you know as, as well as the whole uh, ecosystem in, in Edinburgh in, in specific in Scotland in general so you know I really appreciate you being here with me today and um, you know uh, I hope our audience can take away a lot from this chat no, it, it's been a pleasure thank you very much for having me Well, that's the wrap for another episode of Datacast. Hopefully, you have learned something insightful and interesting from my guest today. You can read the show notes from the podcast website at datacast.simplecast.fm. If you want to get instant updates when a new episode is released, either follow me on Twitter or subscribe to my newsletter on my website, jameskelly.com. It is my greatest pleasure that you listen to this podcast and take advantage of the data revolution coming upon us. Goodbye for now.